Bible, small is approximately ten times bigger than big. Did you get that? Are you all out there today? Now, we're not in a morgue, are we? Now, if you're here and you're born again, say amen. Amen. Say, I love Jesus. Jesus. Say, I'm the living. I'm I'm not the dead. dead. Say, I'm alive in Christ. Christ. Amen. Now, see, that didn't hurt anybody. You ought to try to come up here sometime preaching to you all. Come on, guys. Say, I'm alive. alive. Amen. Tell you what, some of you all aren't going to like heaven too much. It's It's a wild place up there. Amen. Amen. So, uh, in the Bible, small is bigger than big. Say small is bigger than big. One more time. Small is bigger than big. Isn't it good to know that God thinks that small is bigger than big? Isn't that wonderful? See, now to listen to the world, you think that you've got to be massively humongous to be successful, but that's not the way God looks at things. You know, I've considered the subject of big versus small for many years now. Being a competitive person, you know, it doesn't matter if we're playing golf, tennis, bowling, tiddlywinks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I'm playing against. Last night I was playing uh, Candyland with my grandchildren, and I wanted to win. And I did. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't played that since I was five years old. And the last time I played that, I beat my grandmas and my mom. And, and it's been all these years I played it again last night and I won. Praise God forevermore. <laughs> Competitive, you want to win. But I've considered this subject of big versus small for many years. And I've come to the conclusion that, think about this. Did you know to discuss size requires comparison, doesn't it? Like how long is a piece of string or how big is a piece of string? Well, you can't know unless you're going to what? Compare it to another piece of string. Is that right? Is that correct? And when it comes to size, you know, big versus small, comparison is required. And the Bible says to compare is, does anybody know? Starts with a U, N, W, I, S, E. What's that spell? To compare is what? It's unwise. You see, because of the world's attitude, you see, when something is small, do you know what you have to deal with when something is small? You have to deal with inferiority and discouragement. But when something is big, you have to deal with pride and haughtiness. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about that? Um, I know many years ago, like as it pertains to churches, I, when I was younger, I drove around the area. And, and uh, there's a couple of churches in the area that they're, I mean, their platform's almost as big as this whole church. And I was discouraged. But then I drove, I drove on. And I found some churches that our platform is as big as their church. And so then I had to deal with what? Pride. Do you understand? So you see that comparing is what? It's, it's what? It's unwise. It's very unwise. And here's something else I've noticed about big versus small. Uh, 
the bigger something is, the more maintenance it requires. Did you ever notice that the bigger the dog is, the more it eats? Is that right? The bigger the house, I want a big 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 house. Are you sure you want a big house? Are you sure? Because guess what? The bigger the house, the more it takes to keep up. The bigger the house, the more uh, taxes you have to pay on it. The bigger the house, the more insurance, the more cleaning. Do you understand that? Big, 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 big. Well, you know, when you got something big, then you got to maintain it. And maintaining is not always the easiest thing to do. When you consider big versus small, I've also thought about, do you ever think about Superman? Who's your favorite comic book here? Is it Superman? Anybody ever think of, do you all know who he is? He's a man of steel, right? Leap tall buildings in a single bound, faster than a locomotive, stronger than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet. Now, do you all know who the Atom is? Ever remember the Atom? That little bitty superhero? Now, do you know Superman and all his vast power, do you know that there were some times where the Justice League didn't call on Superman? Do you all know who the Justice League is? They didn't call on Superman. You know who they called on? Why did they call on the Adam? Because there were things he could do, places he could go that Superman couldn't. Did you hear me? So you see, everybody wants to be Superman because he's big and he's powerful. But you know what? There's some things that Superman just can't do. Have you ever dropped a quarter or a penny or whatever between your seat and your car? And what are you looking for? Are you looking for something big to fish that out? Or are you looking for something? You need something small to get down in there. Is that right? See, so really, there's a place for some big things. There's a place for some small things. We just shouldn't compare. I have noticed this too about big things. Did you ever notice the bigger something is, the harder it can fall? So since God has so much to say about small things in the Bible, and He has more things, to, he, God has more to say about small things than big things, and God actually puts far more emphasis and importance on small things than He does on big things. Let's just take a few minutes. And look at some things God has to say about small things. Now, in Deuteronomy 7, you need to realize that God loves and uses small things. Notice Deuteronomy 7. Now, do you understand the Jews are God's chosen people? Is that right? Now, notice here, the Lord, notice Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, talking about the Jewish people. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Look at that. You were the least of all peoples. But notice here, but because the Lord what? The Lord loves you. There's a lot of times I've run into people over the years that, well, I'm just one person and I'm insignificant and 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 God just, you know, doesn't love me as much. You got to remember, what does the Bible say here? The Bible says the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. 
He didn't choose them because they were a vast majority. He just chose them because he loved them. Isn't that wonderful? Did you know that we're all unique? Say, I'm unique. You know, you know, if you and I are the same, now think about this. If you and I are the same, one of us is unnecessary. Is that right? If you and I are exactly the same, one of us is unnecessary. Aren't you glad that we're not all exactly the same? We're all individual. We're all unique because God has something for each and every one of us to do. So notice right here, God loves the Jews just because he loves them. Doesn't have anything to do with size. Uh, We won't turn there for the sake of time, but does anybody remember where Jesus was born? What town? God bless you people. We're going to send you back to Sunday school. What, What town was he born in? Bethlehem. Is that right? Now, do you know, was that the largest of them? Or was that the... It was the smallest, wasn't it? The Bible says this in the book of Micah. Just listen to this. Bethlehem, though you are small or little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. That's talking of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus, we're talking about big versus small. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, you know, in that triumphal entry, did he go in on a big massive horse or did he go in on a little donkey he went in on a little donkey didn't he now he could have went in on a big horse but he didn't he went in on a little donkey is that right notice first corinthians 127 first corinthians 127 first corinthians 127 notice and, and this is something you need to realize. God uses small things very often times to confound big things. Look at this. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Somebody said, well, God's chosen me. <laughs> well, God has chosen the what? The foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Look at verse 29. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. And you know no flesh should glory in his presence. God chooses small things, insignificant things, base things, foolish things to confound the big and the mighty and the massive. Why is that? So that God gets all the glory. Does anybody remember Gideon? Do you all remember Gideon? How many of you remember Gideon? He had an army, didn't he? He had an army. And... uh, Let's see if you remember your Sunday school lesson. When that army showed up, did God say, you're going to need more? Or did he say, you're going to need less? Oh, he said, you're going to need less. And much we could say about it, but God took Gideon's army 
from 30... See, they were going up against an army of 135,000 troops. And God took Gideon's army from 32,000... Now, 32,000 against 135,000 is not a fair fight. Is that right? Is that right? Now, is that right? But but he took it from... God took Gideon's army from 32,000 down to... Does anybody remember what number he went down to? 300. 300 against 135,000. But how many of you know 300 with God can beat 135,000? Is that right? See, God, why did he do that? To confound the mighty. Do you remember in the Bible, God used a small lunch to feed a big crowd, didn't he? Only God can do something like that. Is that correct? And you see, very oftentimes, little things are despised. Look at, let's see if you can find Zechariah 4.10. See if you can find that in your Bible. You see, in this world in which we live, because we're conditioned to think that bigger is better. Bigger is where it's at. And very oftentimes, little things get despised. Little things get despised. Now, I understand things will start off small and they'll grow and we're, we're for growth and all of that. We understand that. But look in Zechariah 4.10. For who has despised the day of small things? Now, some versions will say, the day of small beginnings, but actually the day of small things. And actually God asks this, and if you study the context in this, God is kind of saying it like this. I want to know, I want to know who despises the day of small things. In other words, God seems like he's a little angry there. I want to find out Who despises the day of small things because they need to be corrected. They need to be adjusted. You see, if we have the attitude that because something is small, we're going to minimize it, we're going to despise it, God is not pleased with that. Who has despised the day of all small things? Like if I walked in here and somebody moved my Bible, let's say my Bible was here and I went out to the uh, the room and somebody moved it over here and I came in and I said, who moved my Bible? I bet you nobody would be raising their hand, would they? And that's what God is saying. Who's despised the day of small things? Because you see, you get crosswise with God when you despise small things. Notice 1 Samuel 17.27. 1 Samuel 17.27. We're talking about big versus small. Notice this, 1 Samuel 17.27. Remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel? Remember that? How many remembers that? And uh, of course, you know, he goes there and he he, he looks over Jesse's, you know, boys and none of them are God's uh, anointed. And then finally, uh, Samuel says, do you have any, uh, uh, do you have any out back or any, any others? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there is one out back and he's out there tending 
tending, what was, what was he was tending what? Tending the sheep. And, and, and so Samuel says, bring him in. And when David comes in, God tells him, he says, this is the one anoint him. And then in the process of time, remember there was a giant. Does anybody remember the giant's name? Goliath and and David's brothers were out there, you know, and they were fighting for the army of uh, of Israel and all of that. And uh, and so David, remember, Jesse said, take some cheese over there to your brothers and all of that. And when David shows up, his eldest brother Eliab had something to say to David. And what we're going to read now is the reason David was anointed to be king. It was the reason that he got to fight Goliath and defeat him. And it was the reason that he was ultimately crowned king. We're going to read it right now. 1 Samuel 17, 27. David shows up. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those, those what? Those what? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Was Eliab despising small things? Yes, he was. Now I want to just take my time right here because I want you to get this. Was Eliab despising small things? Oh yeah, he was. Who have you left those few sheep with? Who have you left those few sheep with? You see, Eliab despised those few sheep. And actually, I don't see any of David's brothers wanting to tend to those few sheep. Evidently, those few sheep weren't important to them. They were just a few sheep. They were just a little number. They were just a few sheep. They were insignificant. They didn't matter. They're just a few little old sheep. But David loved those few little old sheep. And he took care of those few little old sheep. And he cared about those few little old sheep. And you know what? It caused him, that attitude is what, David was a man after God's own heart. And that's where you see it right there. God is concerned about those few little old sheep. God is concerned about those few people that nobody else wants to go minister to. He's concerned about them. God is just as concerned about them and probably more so, and I I could prove it scripturally, He's more concerned about them than He is the vast, massive stadium full of people. Did you hear me? How do I know that? Because God will leave the 99 and he'll go after the one. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? How many is glad we serve a God like that? I, I sure am. And, and you see, Eliab knew David and, well, you know, what are you, those few sheep. Well, you see now why Eliab didn't get anointed to be the next king. And so... David's attitude toward these few sheep and he didn't despise small things is what caused him to become anointed to be king. And actually when he was standing before Saul, before he went out to fight Goliath, this sheep thing came up again. And he talked about it to 
Saul, and as a result, Saul allowed him to go fight Goliath. And then in the process of time, many years later, we see David is, he becomes the king of the united Israel. And you know what? It all had to do with a few, few what? few sheep. Just a few sheep. You know, it comes to mind Philip the Evangelist. Have you ever heard of Philip the Evangelist? Yeah. But you know, you know, you know what qualified him to become that great evangelist that got transferred by the power of God and translated actually? You know what? You can trace it all back. He was willing to serve tables. You know, a lot of people I've met over the years, they think it would be neat to be transferred by the power of God and translated by the power of God, but they're never going to experience that. You know why? Because they won't lift a cup to serve somebody else. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? You see, the Jesus said, if you're faithful over that which is least, you'll be faithful over that which is much. But if you're unfaithful over that which is least, you'll also be unfaithful over that which is much. See, God is looking at the little things, isn't he? I said he's looking at the little things. Notice Mark 12:41. Mark 12:41. Go there with me. Mark 12:41. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Big, big amounts. Big amounts. And then we have a poor widow comes and throws in the two little mites. So he calls his disciples to himself and says to to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in what? Put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Now, you see, to the world, to the natural thinking mind, that doesn't make any sense. But see, God looks at things so much differently than we do. Notice verse 44, For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. Yeah, but these rich people put in perhaps thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And this little widow, she just put in two pennies. She just put in a little pittance, you know, just nothing. But that's not the way God sees it. See, the way the world looks at it, the way most, actually the most the way most Christians will look at it is, oh yeah, those rich people, they put in so much more. They're so much more significant. And that little poor woman. But you see, that's not the way God sees it. And how many of you know God's vote is the only one that counts? Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again. God's vote is the only one that counts. And remember this. God does not look at amounts. He looks at percents. You know why he does that? So everybody can be on an equal playing field. You see, if you have, if you have a, somebody that gets $100,000, they get $100,000, 
and let's say they put in, let's just say they put in, you know, let's say they put in, what would be a tithe on 100,000? 10,000, okay. So let's say that they put in 1,000. Okay? How much do they put in? 1%. Let's say somebody else gets 1,000 and they put in 500. Now, who put in more according to God? The person that put in 1,000 or the person that put in 500? The person that put in 500. Because the one put in 1%, the other put in what? 50%. That's the way God looks at things. And if we don't look at things the way God looks at things, we're going to be continuously frustrated. Because the world goes crosswise of God. Look at 1 Kings 19. We tend to look for God in big things. But miss Him in that we think He is not in the small things. I'll say that again while you're turning to 1 Kings 19. We tend to look for God in big things, but miss him in that we think he is not in the small things. Look at 1 Kings 19.11. So then God said to Elijah, he says to, to Elijah here, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that fire, a what? A still, small voice. And guess what? God was in that still, small voice. So many times we look for God in that big thing, that big movement, that big experience that you know the people look for God in a big angelic ex- appearance you know or or a big this or a big thundering booming voice and again and again we miss the supernatural move of God because we're looking for the spectacular don't look for the spectacular but look for the supernatural move of God and most all of the time It's in that what? That still, small voice. You know, God leads us with this book, doesn't he? Genesis to Revelation. How many of you know we don't need to seek God for hours as to whether or not we need to walk in love? How many of you know we don't need to seek God for hours whether or not we ought to forgive? We don't have to seek God for hours whether or not we ought to be bitter or not. Is that right? But like, you know... You know, you know, where should I where should I live? Where should I move? Should I start this business? Should you know? You can't go. I I couldn't when we were going to start this church. I couldn't go to the Bible and open it up and say and find where it says Pastor Terry, start Summit Church in Fenton. You can't see that in the Bible. You understand? So you have to seek the Lord and. Wait on that still, small voice. Or some people say it this way, peace versus no peace. That's how God leads his people. It's not a big, massive thing. It's a still, small thing. But I tell you what, we need to be real sharp 
and sensitive to that still, small voice. It can save your life. It can save your family's life. You know, I have in my notes here, small things and direction from God. How many of you want direction from God? We all want direction from God. And it's interesting, do you remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus and he got knocked to the ground by the great light? Remember that? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember that? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, Jesus. Remember that? And then, do you remember what Jesus told him? He said, go into the city, go into the town, and you'll be what? You'll be told what you must do. Did you hear me? Now, that seems like a small thing. But if he wouldn't have done that small thing and went into the town, guess what? He wouldn't have got further direction. Let me ask you a question, because you might be here today and you might be saying, well, you know what? It just seems like God isn't giving me any further direction. It just seems like God isn't giving me any further direction. It just seems like God isn't giving me any further direction. Let me ask you this. What was the last thing God told you to do? And have you done that? I remember Buddy Bell, who had that great ministry of helps, training helps people in churches, training ushers and whatnot. How many remembers Buddy Bell? Do you remember him? And he had a ministry that he trained uh, uh, in the process of time. He would train uh, 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 helps ministry, you know. And he was a lead help, help usher or whatever in a certain church that he was in. And the Lord told him to be sure that the pastor always had the water on the pulpit and to set that water on the pulpit for the pastor in every service. In the process of time, Buddy Bell got busy with some other things, and he gave that assignment to one of the other ushers. Well, you go ahead and take care of the pastor's water. And so, because it seems like a small thing, a little thing, you know, and, and, you know, as long as the pastor has water up there, what difference does it make? And Buddy Bell went about his business, but then he noticed that the direction from God was drying up. It seemed like God wasn't speaking to him like he had. And so he got alone with the Lord and he asked the Lord, he said, what's going on here? And, And the Lord got it over to him and conveyed to him, what was the last thing I told you to do? He thought couldn't be that Lord couldn't be that couldn't be that couldn't be that guess what the Lord told him to set the water on the platform for the pastor now if God tells you to do that guess what you do that until he tells you otherwise did you hear me that's a little thing small thing insignificant thing but if God tells you to do it it's it's important isn't it did you hear me See, further direction comes only as we obey in the little things. Does anybody have any problems in here besides me? We tend to think our problems are in the big things. But guess what? They're usually in the small things. And did you know a whole bunch of small things can make a big thing? Have you ever noticed that besides me? There's a a scripture in in the Song of Solomon that says this, Catch us the foxes. The little foxes that what? Spoil the vines. That's the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. Catch us the foxes. We need to catch things when they're in their infancy. Because those little things can become big things and spoil things later down the road. 
uh, I just had a big tree taken down on some property that I own, and that baby was big and it was massive. How many of you would agree with me it would have been a whole lot easier to take that tree down 25 years ago? I could have done it with my little saw. But now this thing has grown and is big, and I had to call the professional people in because if I try to take it down, I could get killed. Do you understand that? So little things can become big things. That's one reason why I think the Bible says to married couples, emphasis on married couples, is don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, it would apply to all of us, certainly, but particularly married couples. Don't go to bed mad at one another. Amen? Don't, don't sleep on that anger. I, I, I've dealt with this more than once. It, it, it hasn't been the, tooth ca- uh, the p- cap on the toothpaste, but things like that, where, where you know, you've got a husband and a wife, they're ready to kill one another, uh, one another because he didn't put the cap back on the toothpaste. Well, how many of you know that's not why she wants to kill him? How many of you know that's not the reason? Is that right? We don't have any... People that would want to kill their husband over that, do we? (laughs) But you get right down to it. It's been years of abuse and other things. Did you hear me? Little things. Little thing here. Little thing. And it's little things that are left unresolved. Little thing here. Little thing there. Little thing here. Little thing there. And it works both ways. The wife doing little things to aggravate the husband and the husband doing little things to aggravate the wife. You understand what I'm talking about? That's why years ago uh, with my wife, and, and, and you know, when we get in an argument, I just lock, we'd go in a room, we'd lock the room, and we're not going to leave until we've kissed and made up. Amen. And now one time she got mad enough to throw the grapefruit at me. It was half a grapefruit, you know. We're sitting there at breakfast, and I aggravated her. I had it coming. And she got so mad at me, she threw it. I ducked. Thank goodness I ducked. It hit the wall. And one time she threw a glass of ice water at me, but it wasn't a glass, it was a plastic cup. But I had it coming. But we sat down and we talked about it. And I'd say the conflicts that we've had over all these years, about 85% of them have been my fault, about 15% her fault. Is that right? (laughs) Hey, you ought to take that. That's good. Okay, 90 me, 10 her. Okay. But I'm not, that's it. I'm cutting it off right there. But the point is, is little things, if, you, if they're left unresolved, they say, catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Did you ever notice that we, uh, like on credit cards, you ever notice that it takes sometimes years to run up big debts, sometimes months, years, and then we want to go to God and just believe him to abracadabra it away. You know how you'll get out of debt the same way you got in it, one day at a t- one dollar at a time. Did you hear me? I got that off Joyce Meyer. She's pretty smart, isn't she? But we, 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 these little things can build up and become big things, and then we expect God just to be a magician and, and correct things overnight. We need to catch some of these little foxes, deal with these little things before the vine is spoiled. Let's close in James 3. Let's close in James 3. Does anybody have a tongue in here? You knew I was going to go there, didn't you? James 3. Is the tongue a small member according, uh, or among our body? Is it small? Tongue's a little thing, isn't it? Little, little member of our body. 
James 3, verse 4. Look at the ships. James 3, verse 4. Look at the ships, talking about boats. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot or the captain of the ship desires. So you can control a big, massive boat with a little bitty rudder. Is that right? Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. We all need to watch our tongues, don't we? We're talking about big things versus little things. This little thing right here has gotten me into some big trouble. Has, has it ever gotten you in any trouble? Have you ever said something you wish you could take back? You know, our words are like a bullet in a gun. Once the bullet's left the gun, you can't get it back. Have you ever said something and you wish, you go, anybody ever do that besides me? Have you ever sent an email and then you wish you could unclick? Can you unclick? Or can you untext? Once we say things, it's out there. Thank God we can repent and God will forgive us and we trust the people we hurt will forgive us. But we need to watch our tongues, don't we? Has anybody in here, you ever said something you wish you hadn't said? Yeah. That's why you don't want to, you don't want to, when you're angry, it's probably best. That's one thing my wife and I, we work on. If we get real angry at one another, we don't talk to each other for a short period of time. Because when you're angry, you'll say things a lot of times you don't mean. Cool off a little bit, then lock yourself in the room and talk it out. Amen? So, uh, just finishing up here in my notes, uh, somebody might say, I'm just one person, I'm small, I'm not important. Did you know you're ten times more important than you think you are? you know how I got scriptural proof for that? Because one can put a thousand to flight, two can put... 10,000. Everybody's 10 times more important than you think you are. Because when you get in agreement, you get 10 times stronger. Amen? Amen? You see, each of us are individual members of the body of Christ, and each one of us needs to be in our place functioning properly, or the body won't function right. There's some things in my body and in yours, little small little things that, uh, you know, just little small little things, but if they're out of kilter, it can affect us, even kill us. Is that right? Think about Billy Graham. You think about that massive ministry. Did you know there was a day when he wasn't a massive ministry? There was a day when he was just one man. And the devil probably, I don't know, but the devil works the same way with us all. The devil probably came to him and said, well, why do you want to go into the ministry? Look at all the other people that are already out there preaching the gospel. But aren't you glad Billy Graham answered the call? And, you know, uh, uh, somebody like the Shulix over here, you know, aren't you glad they've answered the call? You know, they might have had the thoughts, well, you know, there's already so many missionaries out there. And, but, but, you know, I don't know if they had those thoughts or not. But, you know what, I'm glad they answered the call because they've reached people that wouldn't have otherwise been reached. And I think about that starfish. Remember, uh, there was, a, there was a, a storm on the sea and about uh, a thousand starfish you ever feel like you were insignificant, not making a difference? And about a thousand starfish washed up on the, 
on the, on the shore. And there was a little boy out there turning them over because there were about a thousand of them turned upside down. They were all going to die. And he's out there, and there's just a, just a mass of them, and he's turning them upside down. And this fellow comes along, and he makes fun of the little kid, and he says, <laughs> what are you doing? Look, at there's so many of them. What, you're not really going to make a difference. And the little kid looks at the guy, and he says, as he turns the one starfish over, and he says, well, I'm making a difference to this one. We all need to think about that. We're all important. We need to be content. Amen? I just have a little, Pastor. Well, be content with what you have. The Bible says a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Amen? So we could go on with this and on with this. Stand with me if you would. Praise God. I hope you got something out of it. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us in here today that we would not be deceived by the world. To think that something has to be big, massive, abundant, to be used of you or to be seen as worthwhile by you. But that we would be faithful in that which is least. You make us ruler over much. We believe in growing, but as we grow, we keep a good attitude. And that which we're faithful over when we're least, we know that when much is granted, that we'll have that same attitude over the much. And our heart's attitude is to help people, to bless people. Not to be judgmental, not to, not, not to put folks down, but to just bless people, help people. And, and sir, I just trust that everyone will leave here today feeling significant, feeling, feeling as though they have something to contribute, and that it is seen as valuable and precious by you. In Jesus' name. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to, to accept him into your heart today. Before you leave here. And when we dismiss the service, there'll be some men and women standing up here in the front. All you have to do is walk up here to the front and say, hey, I'd like to be introduced to Jesus. And they'll help you with that. They'll pray with you. And you can make him your Lord today. Miss hell, make heaven. And that'd be a good deal. Amen. Well, say I was blessed coming in. And I'm blessed going out. In Jesus' name. Greet a couple of people and then we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.